Good afternoon. If I could ask you to be taking your Bibles and turning to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. We're thankful that you're here, thankful for another opportunity to study together. As we said this morning, this is in connection with our morning lesson. We're going to kind of continue some of the thoughts that we had or expound upon it a little bit. Uh, I realized this afternoon during lunch that there is uh, something that I need to correct, something I did good, and, and something kind of in between. Uh, the thing I need to correct is Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21, and that is the passage that says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That was the title of the lesson, and I didn't have it in my notes anywhere, and I got up here and had one of those moments where I went blank and couldn't think of it to save my life, and rather than misquote it, I knew better than that. I was just thought, well, I guess some of our audience is not back, and sorry about that, but uh, it just left me this morning. I had it written down or committed to memory nowhere, I guess. Um, but it is Proverbs 18.21 that says that. And so I want to be sure and point that out because that was the title of the lesson, and it's true. It may be an Old Testament passage, but as we passage, but as we pointed out, and we're going to see again for just a moment this afternoon, uh, it's always been God's plan to use words, and he has always realized that the power of death and life, or the power of life and death, is in the tongue. Uh, the one thing that I guess was uh, neutral, I guess somewhat, was several of the uh, women folk pointed out to me that when I used examples of those who needed this lesson, they were all men. And I said, well, maybe that was on purpose. I don't know. Maybe I knew my audience well enough not to mention uh, any ladies' names among that. Uh, but I think I called out Campbell and Thatcher and Emmett, and I called out uh, James and Tom and Bob. And yes, those were all men, but that was not intentional in any way. So as we saw in the lesson, we all need to worry about our tongue and, and take care of it. But uh, several pointed that out. I don't know if I should take that was a subliminal message. I don't know if that was what it was there, but uh, uh, that was not on purpose. Uh, the good thing was I gave Charles a hard time about wanting to preach shorter, and I was under 30 minutes for the first time in a while, so I wanted to make sure and get credit for that. Uh, that maybe this is maybe Charles had a, a grand idea here. That maybe that's the plan, uh, and I just snuck in just by three seconds, but just a few seconds under 30 minutes. And uh, so, anyways, uh, appreciate the comments on the lesson, and the encouragement that you all have uh, given to me. Appreciate the prayers today. Uh, certainly on my behalf and our family's behalf. We, we love you all very much and appreciate the opportunity to share the hard lessons, the easy lessons, the lessons that we all uh, need to learn, including these about the power of our words and the power of tongues. Now, uh, as you see, or the tongue, and as you see here, I used a slide from this morning, but we're not going to go back to James chapter 3 and verse 5 this afternoon, or at least not just yet. Uh, the title of the lesson, if you have a bulletin in front of you, was Speaking in Tongues, with tongues in quotation marks there on purpose. When we talk about speaking in tongues, we often are talking about what takes place in Acts chapter 2 and really in the first century there in the New Testament. If you're jotting down notes, you might jot down Acts chapter 2. You might also jot down 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. That's chapters, chapters 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. Uh, we talked about this on Wednesday night. I think Jerry touched on it some the week before. On Wednesday night, we've talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit recently, but often when you hear the idea of speaking in tongues, we are talking about this, what took place in the New Testament. And I wanted to also clarify, although this is not the point of the lesson, is that speaking in tongues in the New Testament was this ability to speak in a language that a person had not previously studied. When you talk about speaking in tongues in today's society, a lot of people will believe that it's someone who's just sort of, we say, babbling, uh, you know, not making any sense. Uh, maybe they say they're speaking in a language of some sort, but it just doesn't, you know, it's not registered. Well, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, and certainly what takes place in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul is giving 
a clarification on what they should be doing. A person should not be speaking in tongues if there's no one there to interpret because it does sound like maybe a bit of a babbling. But that's what it was. It was not some kind of heavenly language. It was not some kind of babble that you had to be, uh, you know, you only understand if you were super religious or something like that. In the New Testament, the speaking in tongues dealt with the ability to speak in a language not previously studied. And so that's what we mean when we talk about that. But this afternoon, what we want to do, I'm going to give you six in particular. We'll get there in just a moment. Uh, but six maybe tongues that we could speak in today that are not good. And we do want to talk about a few good things for just a moment. Before we get there, though, as we said this morning, God has always used words in important ways and recognized the importance of words. On the first day of Earth's initial week, at some point following this primary creation, the inspired record of Genesis declares to us, and God said. We talk about in the beginning, but the beginning begins with the words, and God said. This expression or this phrase is found there in Genesis no fewer than at least ten times. And thus, from the very beginning, I told you we'd go back, from the very beginning, the reader is introduced to the power of speech. The psalmist would declare in Psalm 33, Psalm 33 and verse 9, He spoke, God spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Not only the power of speech, but certainly the power of God's speech. The Hebrew writer would go further, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, by faith, right, the hall of fame of faith, or the faithful there in Hebrews 11, by faith, we understand that the worlds have been framed by the word of God. I'm not that creative sometimes, I certainly in a, a handy sort of way. It doesn't matter how long you give me, how many tools you give me. I'm probably not going to be able to create something that's worth very much. I just don't have that ability. But by the word of God, the world was framed. On the sixth day of that glorious first week, the first human beings were brought forth. Initially, there was Adam, formed directly from the dust of the ground, of course. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Presently there, the Lord spoke to the man. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. And the Bible records, and Jehovah God commanded the man, saying. Once again, from the beginning, God had a way of using words and declaring his words unto mankind. The obvious implication is that Adam could understand the communication without any previous formal education in language. On the same day, Eve was fashioned out of man's side. And then Moses recorded these words in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 23. And the man said. What follows after that are the first recorded words of a human being. God has spoken. Mankind, made in his very image, likewise has the ability to speak. And think about it. Of the millions, I mean probably millions of creatures, biological creatures that are on this planet, only humans have the ability to communicate through verbalized speech. Clearly our words, our tongue, our speech is important, a very important gift from the Creator. But you know we can go further into the Bible. We think about Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, excuse me, chapters 12 and chapter 20, 12 and 20, Abraham tells Sarah to do what? To lie. From the very beginning there, early on, man is using his words in the wrong way because he tells Sarah to lie and say that you're my sister. 
I don't want them to take you. I'm worried about that, but I'm going to lie to try to cover for that. Of course, Numbers chapter 20, we know that Moses is supposed to speak to the rock, but what does he do? He speaks to it, but he strikes it as well. He says there at that time, hear now, you rebels, to the children of Israel, as they have been complaining, using their words, and we'll get to complaining in just a moment. Job, what about Job? Job has questioned God enough. You know, we, we, we give Job credit, right, in a sense, for, for not cursing God and, and dying, but Job also has all these questions, and his friends have all these questions, that it comes to a certain point there that in Job chapter 38, God gets serious and says, hey, wait a minute, you're going to listen to me for just a second. You've said enough. You've questioned enough about what's going on. I'll use my words. Who are you? Where were you when I formed the world? And what flows out of that at the end of the book of Job is great, great reading, and God sets him straight in a sense. And of course, oh, impetuous Peter, right, the constant foot in mouth syndrome, always using his words to say something. At times, praising Jesus, wanting to serve him, and then by that very same tongue, denying him, and of course, almost speaking out of turn in a sense as well. Peter with the foot in mouth syndrome. And so, yes, our words, our tongues, so to speak, are important. Now, again, what I'd like to do the rest of the time is look at about six things here, and then the lesson uh, will be yours after we talk about a few good things as well. Number one, what about the tongue of telling the whole truth? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 for these first couple, if you'd like to follow along or turn there. What about speaking in tongues, speaking in the tongue of telling the whole truth? Is that something that we need to work on? Ephesians 4.25, Paul would write, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Putting away all lying. You know, very often we like to take telling the truth and segment it, right? Well, I didn't lie, but I, I told a white lie. Or I told part of the truth. I was listening to some things and reading some things in preparation for this. And a woman uh, had written a book uh, about 30 days to helping you with your tongue or something like that. And she said, uh, you know, she would always use at work the idea of traffic when she was late. You know, not telling the whole truth. Maybe she just has trouble getting up, trouble oversleeping. She gets to work. Boss says, hey, you know, running late again. You know, something going on. She'd say, traffic. She didn't say she was stuck in traffic, you know, just kind of, well, traffic. Okay, that's a pretty broad category. We've been there. We understand that. But what about telling the whole truth? Is that something that we're really trying to do, or are we always trying to cut corners? We sometimes speak in the tongue of not telling the whole truth. And maybe we would be wise to remember not only, as Paul says here, putting away lying, but just being truthful in all things. I look around the room and, and us, uh, those of us of, of some age and have lived some life, we understand life is so much easier when you just simply tell the truth and the whole truth. Because you may just tell a part of it or a little white lie or however we want to say it, but then that grows to a little bit more the next time. And then somebody else asks you about what happened and it grows a little bit more. And next thing you know, you have this feeling in the pit of your stomach. You just feel sick all the time. You feel weird and awkward. It's because you're always trying to cover up your lies. We need to speak in the tongue of telling the whole truth. What about the know-it-all tongue? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11 and going through verse 15. Do you know someone who speaks in this tongue who always has to have the last word? They, they just kind of always have to be the one to speak last and tell what they know. 
Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Going on down through there, verse 15, that we speak the truth in love and that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, and that causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We need to realize that we all have a role to play, and we all need to work together. Maybe you know somebody like this all the time. Maybe you're like me and just sometimes we can be that way. Not all the time, but just for a short time. We, we just kind of have to have the last word. We just kind of have to always share what we know or what we've heard. We were talking with the young adults again this morning in class. We are more connected than ever, right? When it comes to our phones and it comes to social media and things, we're always connected. We know more about everybody's business and what all is going on. And so, unfortunately, one of the drawbacks of that is that it feels like we always have to share what we know. We always have to comment on what else is going on or what somebody says. Don't have a know-it-all tongue. Don't be the one who has to always have the last word or be involved. You certainly need to share the truth. You certainly may need to share with someone sometimes if you have the experience but speaking in the know-it-all tongue, and may we try not to do that most of the time. What about the complaining tongue? Psalm 142 and verses 1 and 2. Psalm 142, 1 and 2. I was listening to this woman speak who wrote that, the book that I referenced a few moments ago. And she mentioned this, and it really stuck with me. Uh, maybe you're the kind of person that complains. Maybe you know people like that. Psalm 142, beginning in verse 1, the psalmist says... I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my, this is the New King James, I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. Do you know somebody that never takes it to the Lord but always brings it to you when they're complaining? Or are you the kind of person that's always complaining to somebody else? Here's what the lady said, and it struck, it struck me, and I, probably something I'll always remember. She said, said it this way, if the person you're complaining to can't do anything about it, stop talking. If the person that you're complaining to can't do anything about it, stop talking. And I might add in there, you need to talk to God. Now, does that mean we can never share our troubles or our sorrows? I don't think so. I think we need to share. We need to sometimes vent to people. Uh, maybe you have a friend like that, the person you can just kind of either call up or send a text message or something like that and just kind of vent for a few moments. Just complain. Maybe get it off your chest. I can understand that. But some people are just always about complaining and they complain to everybody else about it. And the psalmist says here, I pour out my complaint before him. We would do wise to talk to God about these things. May we think about that as the psalmist did here. What about the boasting tongue? Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, I just put verse 9 there and following, but 9 through 14. What about the boasting tongue? Is that something that you struggle with? Do you know someone who goes on and on about what they have done, what they have accomplished? You may remember in Luke 18 there in verse number 9 that Jesus speaks a parable about two men, one a Pharisee 
and the other a tax collector. And of course, the people who are hearing this in the presence of Jesus have already judged the tax collector to be the one who is wrong. Right? He's one of those awful, nasty, no good tax collectors. The Pharisee is the person of God, of course, doing what's right. But it is here that Jesus gives this parable, this example, that it's the vain Pharisee. The vain Pharisee in a dramatic presentation before the Lord who parades his fake accomplishment. Says, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Verse 12. And he's saying to God about these, you know, these fake ideas here that he's done. He tries to d- distinguish himself uh, away from those who may be these awful, no good, low, dirty sinners. Some people go on and on about what they've done. And Jesus, of course, makes the parallel here. It's the tax collector who maybe has a bad name and many tax collectors did bad things. But who is praying to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not boasting. Not bragging, but instead trying to be a person who has that humble spirit. Do we speak in the boasting tongue sometimes? Certainly we can, and we must be on guard about that. What about the critical tongue? Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 10. Proverbs 17 and verse number 10. You know, a wise person, a wise person values criticism sometimes. Now there's a fine line there. It can be tough, don't get me wrong. It can be tough to distinguish between constructive criticism and just plain being mean. Maybe you've had one of those bosses, uh, you know, who struggle with that. Uh, Oh, I'm just trying to give you some constructive criticism. Well, no, it just sounds like you're always tearing me down for the job that I do. Yeah, that can be tough. But what about the critical tongue? Proverbs 17.10, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. You know, we can learn lessons from critics from critics if we will now we shouldn't be critical maybe it can help be helpful to try to to help someone out again the idea of constructive criticism but we must also realize that while we should while we should avoid that we should also strive to learn from those who might be a little critical might try to give us some criticism Uh, a wise man values criticism and i would say a wise person a wise christian also tries to stay away from the critical tongue. And I hope you understand the sense in which I mean that. One more here, and that is the double tongue. The double tongue. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8. We've talked about our brother Ricky this morning and and, uh, the good work that he's going to be able to do, and we're thankful for that. Do you know how it begins there in 1 Timothy chapter 3 with the idea of deacons? Likewise, deacons, deacons must be reverent. What's the second thing? Not double-tongued. Is that something that we struggle with? Hopefully not a deacon, hopefully not an elder, but at the same time, hopefully not a Christian. Struggle with being double-tongued. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 8 says, All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Is that the way that we live? All the words of my mouth are are with righteousness or as we talked about this morning are we someone who can go back and forth between praising God and then cursing others praising God cursing God praising God lying gossip and all these other things that we have talked about you know this morning before we get ready to conclude here this morning we touched on James chapter 3 and verse 5 the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts consider what a great forest is set on fire 
by a small spark. You may say, you know, preacher, fire can be bad. Again, we touched on it, whether it be California, whether it be even in Gatlinburg, uh, Pigeon Forge area, fire can do a lot of damage and destruction. But you know what? Fire can be good, right? It can be something that gives us heat, keep us warm. It can be something that heats our food, makes our food where we want to eat it and can be able to eat it. You can, I'll speak to it. We're fixing to head to Bible camp in a few weeks. If you've ever been the one on the end that's got to get the cold shower, you're thankful for fire and for heat, right? So fire is not all bad. That, that's not, it's not all bad. There are some good things that come from it. And I would say to that, absolutely, you are correct. There is lots of evil in the tongue. It can be hard to tame. It can do lots of damage. But, but yes, it can do some good things as well. When you think about, is there anything good that can come from our tongue? Absolutely. You know, I want to conclude this, this afternoon by mentioning a couple of those. Uh, and the list could have gone on and on. But do you have the kind tongue? Do you speak in the thankful tongue? Do you speak in the encouraging tongue? And yes, I put it there at the end, but even silence sometimes is a positive way to use our tongue. And the one thing that I forget, forgot and I appreciate Charles leading the song. We sang it just a few moments ago. And I always ask you, did you mean it when you were singing it? Ring out the message. There's a message that needs to be shared. Are we using our tongue in the good way to share the gospel? You see, it's easy to preach a lesson like we did this morning or this afternoon and constantly beat up on people and talk about how awful we are. And, you know, a few of you joked with me, like I said, oh, you're stepping on my toes. You know, well, yeah, because we can all have a hard time taming our tongue. But let's not leave on such the negative note, thinking that we just must always be watching out. There's only bad. Certainly there's some good as well. To be kind, encouraging, gracious. When we're worried about complaining, maybe we should stop and take time in prayer and be thankful to God. And certainly, may we always strive to share the gospel. Ring it out. Ring out the good news. May we strive to focus on these one final passage here, and the lesson will be yours. I've got it on the screen. Ephesians 4, 29. Maybe we could sum up what we're saying today by what Paul says here in Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Paul, does that mean we can't ever speak? Well, hopefully not, because hopefully you can do more than corrupt talk. But let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You may have heard the acronym THINK before, the, the, using the word THINK. Is what I'm going to say helpful? Is what I'm, for the H, is what I'm going to say kind? For the K, THINK before you speak. Is what I'm going to say give grace to those who hear? Or is it going to be critical, boasting, know-it-all, complaining? The person, uh, again, who wrote this book, I just happened to, to hear somebody talk about it lately, and so I kind of followed up with that study. The person who wrote this book talked about maybe we should strive sometimes to take a tongue fast. We take fast, don't we? we? We may fast from food. We may fast from electronics or social media. But have you ever considered taking a tongue fast? What about for 24 hours? For 24 hours, I'm not going to say one complaining thing. For 24 hours, I'm not going to be negative. I'm going to try not to call someone else a name or, or berate somebody in my family. What about for a week? What about for 30 days? 
or a month. I'm not going to be a smart out today. I'm not going to use that kind of biting language at someone. I'm going to try my best for 24 hours again or a week or 30 days to improve my speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but give grace to those who hear. Build others up. I hope that it's been beneficial for you today, both lessons included, to think about these things. It's important for us to consider, to think about the negative, but also to think about the positive. Of course, the, the best, most important way that we can use our words in one sense is to claim Jesus as Lord, to confess his name. And you can do that this afternoon if you are here. If you believe the word and are ready to, ready to repent of your sins, you can confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized for the remission of your sins so that the Lord can add you to, your, to his church. We've got to be faithful unto death. It's a struggle. The tongue is simply one way in which we struggle sometimes. But once again, we're thankful that just as we can curse others or curse God or lie or gossip or whatever, we can turn right around and use our tongue to confess to God and to pray for forgiveness. And he is faithful and just to forgive us that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. As we said this morning, there's a chance that maybe it's not the tongue that's standing in your way right now, something else that you're struggling with, or something else that you'd like for the church to know about and to pray with you and for you. We're thankful for that opportunity, even now as we stand together and as we sing.